Everyone, welcome to the panel. Today we're going to be discussing artists self-releasing their records. We have a, a great panel with us here today. I'll go uh, let them all introduce themselves individually, and then uh, we'll start with questions. And then if anyone has a question during the panel, feel free to raise your hand. We'll take questions at the end, but if we're discussing something that's interesting to you and you have a question about it, please feel free to, to ask. We'll start with Rob at the end. Everyone must be at Ted Cohen's panel, I guess. But my name is Rob McDaniels. I'm the founder and CEO of InGrooves. We provide uh, distribution and marketing services to about 3,000 independent labels and management companies. We also do all the back-end supply chain, digital supply chain, logistics for Universal Music Group here in North America. We reach about uh, 650 different online and mobile stores around the world in, a, in a 125 countries. And we've been around since 2002, and we are the largest independently owned distribution company in the world. My name is Saul Livingia. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Gumroad. We're a startup based in San Francisco. We build a tool that helps any creative person, whether you're an artist, a designer, a filmmaker, a game developer, any, anyone that makes stuff, we help them sell that stuff directly to their audience on the internet. Been around for a year and a half, raised a bunch of money from typical VC, angels, etc., in the valley, 12, 12 people. Ken Jordan from a band called The Crystal Method and put out our first album in 97 on a major label, basically, and been self-releasing for a number of years now. And my name is Suzanne Brantner, and in all transparency, I worked with Ken in managing him for 10 years, so we go back quite some time. I recently started a, a digital strategy and marketing company called Conception, but most recently was at William Morris Endeavor running their digital department worldwide. So we'll start with Ken. So Ken, you, the Crystal Method has been self-releasing records since 2006 with the London soundtrack followed by the Nike Plus and then Divided by Night studio album and then your upcoming studio album. Can you tell us why you decided to start self-releasing? Well, I mean, we've always been... Uh really independent as far as uh, production and uh, releasing of the records. But we had a, a team in place that kind of knew the process and was good at the process. And, you know, I think now the labels are doing fairer deals. But at the time we start, decided to go... Uh, independent and self-released they were still doing the old world deals which were you know taking all your money all the time so uh <laughs> just didn't make any sense and rob you started in groups in 2002 before people were really self-releasing can you tell us how it's changed in the 11 years how people's thoughts are towards self-releasing She's testing my memory on that one back to 2002 obviously it was a bit of a different world back then you could go direct to itunes and you could cover about 80% of the market. Now you've got 650 different online and mobile stores around the world. And uh, in order to reach all of them, it, it requires a, a good team around you. And Sahil, in 2011, you started Gumroad. What prompted you to start the company? Did you want to start it with music? Are you primarily doing music? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I started the company, or I, I built the product actually before I started the company because I had made this icon basically in Photoshop that I wanted to sell to some audience that I had built up on the internet through my blog and things like that. Um, so I tried doing that, and I can code, I can design, I know HTML and servers, FTP and all that fancy stuff. You know, I spent a few hours setting up like my own little store on the internet, and I kind of gave up. And it, it just it, it seemed way more difficult than it should have been to just sell this thing on the internet to an audience that I had kind of already had. I just wanted to connect like two dots together. So that weekend I built a prototype of Gumroad, realized that there were a lot of applications, not just in selling, you know, icons design in Photoshop, but in music and publishing and basically every sort of creative profession and creative industry. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how it started. And now, you know, we have, you know, we have tons of small people like me that use it to sell stuff, but we also have people like Eminem and Lil Wayne and Bon Jovi. And I think, we're trying to build a product that scales from like my mom wanting to sell a book of recipes or something to the biggest personality on the internet. And, and, and I think you know, building a product that supports that is, is pretty difficult, but we're trying. 
And Kent, you mentioned, you know, having a team. I know I've been on panels before where it's been brought up of artists self-releasing their records, and is it possible for the artists to do it themselves, or do they need to be surrounded by a team that understands how it all works? I guess any of you can answer this question. Who do you think needs to be on that team? Well, there definitely has to be uh, someone that that has at least ushered along rele- successful releases before. I mean, the whole setup and marketing and promotion and retailing world, uh, that's something that generally bands don't know anything about. So, you, you know, you have to have people that know how to do that or work with other work with other companies that will help you do that. So I'm going to ask a question. How many artists are in the room? Raise your hands. How many wannabe artists are in the room? Just kidding. So obviously if you're an established artist, you already know that the most important thing, in my opinion, is that you have a, a good management team. That management team will help you find a good publisher, uh, record label, distribution company, They'll identify the best PR people, digital marketing, promotion folks. And at a minimum, if you're going to have a global release that has an opportunity to be successful, you need uh, each of those pieces in place. So I think it starts with uh, having a, a fantastic manager. And from there, they will help you build out the rest of your team. In some situations, the the label may provide a lot of those different pieces, or you may want to put together the puzzle yourself. There's a lot of options out there right now, and you know, again, it, it helps to have the expertise of someone that's been through it before providing you guidance so that you as an artist can focus on what you're supposed to be doing best, which is making great music. And do you think, you know, when, Rob, when you started and when we were self-releasing records together in 2006. You know, there weren't a lot of options in terms of label services and places that you could go to hire out. Do you want to talk about, are any of you familiar with the label services type offerings that people are giving now? If not, I can... Yeah, I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll jump in here quickly. We are providing uh, at Ingrooves a service that we just started last year called In Residence, which is uh, centralized uh, promotion, marketing, uh, you know, radio, product management, sync licensing, and so forth that you can effectively rent out that team on a release-by-release release basis. So we saw early on at Ingrooves that the, the projects that were the most successful were the ones where we, as an organization, were really digging in and providing that uh, project management um, and digital marketing support. And so we wanted to provide that in a more cohesive manner to uh, some of our label clients that we work with, as well as management companies and, and artists that we work with directly. So In Residence was started six months ago. And uh, it's been great, especially for the labels that we work with, because they had to variableize their cost infrastructure and try to uh, cut those costs, especially uh, given the current uh, uh, economic realities of the music industry. And um, we're working projects like Kate Nash, the Boxer Rebellion, Pepper, Thievery Corporation is coming up. And then, of course, later this year, we can't wait for the Crystal Methods new project. So... You know, there are other options out there, but, but, you know, we're pretty excited about everything going on at in residence. And do you think that the, you know, social media has really changed as well in terms of helping artists promote themselves and self-release? Do you think it's expanded the opportunity for them to sell directly to their fans and how? Uh, Tremendously. I um, I think uh, everybody... All artists now really connect with their fans through social media. And so, you know, I think releasing songs through your own social media avenues has kind of replaced the single, you know? You just kind of give away your promotional, <laughs> your, uh, for your single. So... Uh, I think it's really important, I think, uh, engaging your fans and, and allowing them to reach, uh, to connect to you through something you control is really important. So, Hilda, for Gumroad, do you give artists that are using um, Gumroad any sort of best practices for social and how to promote and 
beyond social email marketing because email marketing is still highly effective? Yeah, totally. So yeah, email marketing is by far the highest converting way that you can ever market the stuff that you make, um, market basically anything. Um, best practices, I think it's, it's, you know, just like use anything, like the, the way that you talk to your audience should be, you know, very authentic. It should be like you talking to your friend, right? Like there shouldn't, it should be you, it shouldn't be your, your management team, ideally. Um, and I think that the way you sell stuff um, should also be in that same vein. I don't think you should try to trick people into, into buying other people's stuff or you should, you know, pretend to be someone else. I think the things that really work is, it's kind of like I use physical metaphors a lot. Like if, if you know, if you see someone on the street and you're like, "Hey, I have this album," and he hands you ten bucks and you hand him the album, that should be how it feels to buy and sell stuff on the internet too. Um, and I think that's why I think government works really well. Like we've seen conversion rates for like pretty mainstream artists, like you know, above five, ten percent, which is super high compared to like Amazon's like point eight percent. iTunes is around the same, depending on the artist. Um, and the reason it's like that is because it doesn't feel like you're buying it from Amazon. You're not buying it from Apple. You're buying it from the artist directly, right? Like when someone says, hey, I'm selling this thing, um, the way they phrase it is, is a lot more personal. It's a lot more about them and the connection that they have with their audience. Um, Gumroad is a super simple platform. We don't have reviews built in. We don't have a lot of the things that typically marketplaces have built into their, into their software because we think it's kind of that context is up to this, the seller and the buyer to already have pre-established in some sort of context, whether it be a SoundCloud uh, you know, through SoundCloud or Twitter or email or whatever. Like typically nowadays people have you know, pre-existing relationship. And it's a lot easier to convert someone to buying something if, if you have that and, and you use that rather than building up some sort of context and then pushing them to a different system, a different site that has a totally different um, context that people aren't used to and conversion rates typically fall. If you're used to, you know, lowercase swear words on Twitter and then the guy's like, hey, you should buy my new thing on this service and it's like very corporate sounding you can you, there's a very clear drop off in conversion rate that that happens the things that perf- perform awesome on Gumroad other ones where like basically all the copy on the marketing page is written by the the creative um by far and it's all first person it's hey i'm selling this not hey sarah Borellis is selling this thing it's me um anyway so just, i'll just add look everybody 99 percent of humanity wants to be a rock star um and most can't be. So uh, it's it's funny. I get asked by a lot of friends, oh, gosh, you work in the music industry. Tell me stories about, you know, rock star stories. And I'm like, hate to disappoint you. I work for a digital distribution company. I don't have that many stories, but I'm working on it. But it's that emotional connection that people want to have to 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 rock stars effectively right and and what social provides is that opportunity to really establish that uh, emotional connection and and um uh you know expand it with visual media uh you know obviously the the written word and just staying in constant uh, communication with that fan or potential fan and bringing them into the the experience um there's a company that we work with called pledge music which does this uh, fantastically in terms of uh, setting up a, a whole pre-sale campaign uh, to let the fan in on the process of actually making the record. Uh, and so that the marketing process starts three or four months before the release date and not uh, three or four days uh, before the release date. So there's so many ways that you can uh, leverage social uh, to harmonize that relationship between artist and fan. And uh, and I think that's what's really exciting about the, uh, the tools that exist exist out there today and do you find that you know when i was at wme we i ran a group inside the digital department that we put out 22 records for artists where they were self-releasing the records and you know we were using topspin at the time and with pledge and even with you know indiegogo and kickstarter is those being seen as sort of your direct-to-consumer platform before going out to the stores do you find that the amount of money that a, a fan is willing to spend is much higher than if they were just going to go spend the nine ninety nine at iTunes or you know the $2 if they're going to stream it on Spotify or less, whatever it's going to be? Well, Benji, who's the CEO of Pledge, uh, will tell you that the average um, uh, sale price on, on Pledge is something like $65, which is obviously a lot more than what an artist gets when, when something is downloaded from, from iTunes. So uh, it's proven that they they are willing to spend more money. Those are your those are your super fans. Um, and uh, typically, we find that, that the direct to fan solution is an important piece of the puzzle, but it represents between five and ten percent of your overall sales. Um, 
but it's an, an increasing portion of, of uh, the total pie. When we were doing it at WME, we found people would spend way more um, on the direct-to-fan platform, especially if we would start right at the beginning. Do you think that um, bands, if they're going to do that route, should, like Pledge does, start right when they start the record? Do you think they should start it when the artist announces the record? What, what do you think is the best, uh, best way to do that? It, I mean, it seems like it's those, you know, the crowdfunding or whatever... It seems like it works before the traditional release date. It seems like that works best. Hey, you get this at least a little bit before. But I'm just wondering, what do those numbers really mean? Of course, the number's higher because they have the option to buy something that costs more. In a store or iTunes or whatever, you only have the option to buy the one thing at the one price. It's, it's like there is no comparison of those two numbers, right? You don't get to buy a band plays your house no, iTunes tried. They did the iTunes Pass for a while. And, Rob, they did away with that after, like, right yeah. away, right? Yeah. But they did it with Depeche Mode. But I, I'm a huge Depeche Mode fan. So I paid, the, I paid the 40 bucks, and I got the iTunes Pass. But I think people must not want to do that because iTunes did away with it. Yeah, I mean, look, I know at Ingrooves we're constantly uh, chatting with our retail partners about, you know, really seeing them more as a, as a platform than just a product. So... If you think of Spotify and iTunes and how many consumers they reach, if we could just, if they would allow us as the distributor or the label, the artists, to sell you know, custom goods to their customers rather than just the $9.99 a month streaming subscription service or a $10 album, I think we would be able to monetize the consumer experience a lot more effectively than we do now which uh, would obviously lead to more money back in the artist's pocket. So unfortunately, the only way we can do that now is through direct-to-fan marketing, which is a lot more challenging. If we had access to all of their customers, it would make things a a lot more seamless for us. Yeah, I think the the problem with the marketplace is you, you typically have a mold that people have to fit into, right? Because as a consumer, you have some sort of expectation for this thing called iTunes that you're that you're used to. You have, you know, there's a business model that has kind of been pre-established, has been for, you know, over a decade now. And it's a lot harder to just say, hey, like, we're iTunes, we're now going to support, you know, the shipping of of physical merchandise. Because, like, what, we can't really take 30% then, right? Because, like, digital goods, like, marginal cost of creation is, of a new sale is zero. Um, So do we take 5%? Do we take, like, a fixed fee per thing? Like, there's a lot of complications that now the consumer has to deal with. Um, and I think you know iTunes works really well for Apple, right? They're making billions of dollars a year off of it. I don't for 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 them like the the you know innovators d- dilemma, like the 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 potential risk of supporting a new model that's probably only going to account for five to ten percent of their of their volume is just not worth it. And I think that's where people like us come in, where where you can actually kind of you have the flexibility because we're not a marketplace because we don't have any molds that we try to fit into. Um, that you can kind of customize the experience to, to whatever you want. You want to sell, you know, one thing where, like, we go to your house and, and, and play a concert or whatever for $10,000. You have that ability. iTunes will never let you do that. Can I see a raise of hands? How many people buy music from iTunes? And how many people buy music or stream music from Spotify or RDO? Or... How many people do both? That was my next yeah. question. Oh, see, I'm totally in the clouds, so I'm like, I'm not your, yeah. So, you know, technology is changing how we consume music, and, you know, young kids are really just, they're consuming music on YouTube, and they're in the cloud, but they don't realize they're in the cloud, and, you know, with Spotify, and then there's going to be Mog is changing into Daisy, or whatever they're going to call it, that is the, the Beats by Dre. Rob, since you've seen the transformation you know, do you think it's going to go to a in the future be an all streaming platform? Do you think that you know YouTube start, starting a streaming service is going to be um, successful? Uh, okay, so it, is anybody from YouTube here? All right, so YouTube's the fucking devil right now, and so <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope that they're successful with subscription service. I mean, look, what's happening? I, I say that in all jest, so. I realize this is being recorded. Great. And now YouTube's <laughs> going to hear that. And all of a sudden, all my content's going to come down. But anyway, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, here's what's happening on YouTube, right? So our sales have decreased by nearly 40% in the last six months because everybody is moving to mobile. All the consumers are moving to mobile right now. 
YouTube's uh, mobile views have in- increased, uh, I think it's uh, 300% in the last 18 months. 25% of all YouTube views um, are, are coming via the mobile phone, but they can't monetize their ads on mobile. Um, so it, effectively, the, the ad monetization is virtually zero, which is one of the reasons that several of the major labels have uh, prevented their videos from being played on, on uh, the mobile device. So YouTube's solution is to create a mobile subscription service, which is forthcoming in the next few months, uh, and they will hope that consumers pay the subscription fee and it goes into a pool and all of us get to split it pro rata. So I'm optimistic that, that YouTube, uh, if they put their minds to it, because if they put their minds and their money uh, behind, you know, behind uh, you know, their motivation, then perhaps they can come up with a good solution that will help all of us make money. But the fact that... Between you know, on YouTube is probably responsible for something like eighty percent of the music consumption in the United States, and it's responsible for about two to three percent of the revenue. That has got to change, and it's got to change quickly. Otherwise, we're all fucked. But do you think major labels blocking? Uh, their content from going on the mobile because they can't get advertising is beneficiary. Um, you know, um, people downloading music illegally has gone down. Um, it's gone down drastically. So I think we actually are going to maybe get to a point where people don't do that because they can go to YouTube or Spotify, etc. Um, do you think that's beneficial to them and to the artist for them to do that? And does that cause the uh, the fan to then just go somewhere else and say, "I hate you, record label." I don't. I you know I, I I think the the major labels have historically done things that they feel are in their own best interest and in the best interest of their artists and protecting the copyrights. And so you know I can't necessarily opine on 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 uh, why they do things the way they do them. But uh, I do know that we allow our videos to be monetized on on mobile and always have and always will. So. And Ken, as an artist, would you want the label to take? the video down or would you want the, the the video still to be seen because that fan might then go buy a concert ticket or something well i mean i, I yeah i i think that when you have a video it's always for promotional purposes so you want the video seen as by as many people as possible because you're using it to promote either a release that is for sale or to provo- uh, promote a concert tour or something like that so uh, uh, yeah, I don't know though because I, I feel that also uh, it seems like lots of or most of YouTube viewing they're not not so much that they're videos that the artists made they're just some recording of your song with who knows what visuals are up there you know so I don't know and do you think that streaming services are going to continue to go up and downloading will go down so you know, what do you think um, I think you know whatever is the best consumer experience will will win, and I think that right now streaming is a, is a, is a great great experience. Like I I just started using Spotify like two weeks ago, and it's it's been amazing so far. Um, so I think you know as long as as long as there's a sustainable business model behind Spotify that you know works for the artists, works for the labels, works for whoever owns the rights to the music um, that I get to listen to, I think I think I think they'll they'll work out. I don't know if those numbers actually do work out. Um, I've heard they don't. I don't know. Rob, you see the back end. I mean, you're seeing the growth and the... Do you think that it's a sustainable business model for the future? Oh, look, I didn't think CDs would hang around as long as they have, you know, and I ended up going out and buying a uh, physical distribution company last year. So, um, you know, I think the downloads will stick around. I think it, it, it takes uh, at least half a generation to shift consumer behavior. Um, you know, CDs still make up a, a significant portion of the marketplace. Uh, downloads, I think, will continue for some time. But I think, uh, you know, look, we're seeing streaming services. They've tripled for us in the last year, uh, you know, and they're probably 20 to 25 percent of our total uh, of our total sales. But, um, you know, I remember that when with the shift from physical to digital, people said that, oh, no, you know, people will want to still buy CDs because they want to touch it. And now the shift from downloading to streaming, people say, okay, well, people will want to continue to download it because they want to own it. But the, that's a myth that you own, the download. You, when you download off of iTunes, you own the right to play it on an Apple device. 
you don't actually own the music unless you take the time to rip it. So um, I think people are discovering that, if, in effect, you when you download, you just have access, and that's the same as the streaming model. So that's why people are, are moving to streaming uh, uh, rapidly. And, you know, over the past few years, um, and Pandora's been around for a while, Songs, uh, there's a bunch of these... Um, beyond just the Spotify streaming services, do you think that that's beneficial for the artists to be able to now have all these different platforms reaching different audiences? Yeah, what, what, what are the numbers? So let's say uh, physical CDs and, and downloads are gone tomorrow, and the number one artist in streaming world, will he get the exact same money he would have got from downloading and physical sales? No. <laughs> you might get more money over a longer period of time, though, right? I mean, it's a cash flow issue for the most successful artists. So, um, you know, instead of getting the 70 cents today or whatever's the equivalent, uh, you know, your share of the CD sale, um, you know, you can get an infinite amount of music over a longer period of time. Infinite amount of money, uh, sorry, over a longer period of time. And Ken, when you put out, um, when you put out London, you'd come off Vegas, which was a highly successful album. You know, I opened this to anyone on the panel. Do you think there's a certain level of artist that you need to be to self-release or to have a team around you to release the record? Um, or do you think there's, there's a level where you absolutely need a, lab- uh, need a label? Well, uh yeah, it's interesting because like the absolute biggest and the absolute smallest acts decide to self-release now, and so uh, I, I think uh, you know the more established acts they want to do it because they have the freedom and uh, they they like the control and the independence, and uh, uh, and then the smallest uh, acts need to do it because they don't have the team and they need to partner up with people who know how to uh, release and promote and market. And so, um, uh, I mean, we originally created Tiny E, our label, just out of necessity. We we needed to sell some version of one of our albums on, on iTunes overseas. In, in Europe, yeah. Yeah, and so, and then that just became uh, fortuitous because... Uh, you know, we've been releasing on that label ever since. And Rob, do you think that there's a level to where an artist needs to go to a label? Yeah, I think, I mean, um, there's some fantastic independent labels. Well, wait a minute, independent or major label? Independent, and then also is there a, okay. a level where they need to do major? Because there sure, is a difference. Be a, I think if you want to be a global pop star phenomenon and you want a you know, multi-album type of deal uh, and you want someone to pay for your private jet and all that kind of stuff, then yes, you need a major label. Indie labels are fantastic at artist development um, and they will continue to, to, to be important and a vital part of the ecosystem. Um, I think they have to change the way that they sort of operate in there. Uh, you know, they want, they want to be sort of slim and trim and, and not have uh, be weighted down by big infrastructure costs. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, what is a label these days? I think... Uh, it's really hard to put a label on it, right? I mean, it's, 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 uh, it can be defined in so many ways. We see management companies launching labels uh, and, you know, artists-owned uh, uh, labels. And so it's, um, it really depends on how you want to define it. And if you were to give advice to an artist who's putting out their own record, would you advise them to go digital first and not worry about physical at the beginning and, and do that later or go physical and digital all at the same time? Me? Um, I would tell them to find their own path, right? The music industry used to be incredibly formulaic um, and now it's, uh, it's wide open and you have to discover uh, your own path. You have to be willing to experiment um, and again, build a good team around you and, and they'll help guide you. But certainly releasing things digitally on YouTube, uh, you know, to begin with can help build that fan base, build the buzz. If you're talented and you've let your personality come through in your music and your videos and so forth, people will discover you. And uh, so I think the most important thing is just to focus on your art and let, um, 
you know, let everything else fall into place. Ken, when you were in a, you've been in a major label and you've also been on your own, can you sort of tell us the differences between the two and were there things that you liked about the majors and, uh, but maybe something you didn't like versus being on your own and things you liked being on your own? Sorry, that was a convoluted way to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, major labels still deliver like huge marketing campaigns when they want to, you know? I mean, just look at the Daft Punk release, you know? I don't think if Daft Punk was uh, self-releasing, they would have had that giant hype machine running for a year like that. But, um, uh, yeah, but, you know, when you're, on a, when you're on a major or pretty much any, any record deal, you never know what money's being spent and what money you're going to be responsible for later or anything like that. And so it's good to uh, control all those things. And Sahil, you work with independent artists and you work with labels. Um, yeah. What's the difference between working with the two? Do you find that one is easier to work with or one is more willing to go out of the box? Yeah, I, I think in general, the closer you are to the person that's making the thing, you know, the artist or, or what have you, it's typically things move faster, th- things get more interesting, they're more willing to take risks, um, even though they're not really risks, they just look like them sometimes. Um, labels are like to stick to the plan a lot more um even if the plan was invented like 15 years ago um i think you know it's like it's it, there's like there's no real scale where like after a certain point you want to work with a label or not it's just like dip, it's i think it's a very case by case what do you want out of your life and like does it make sense in that case to work with a you know label whether it be major or independent not work with anything released digitally or not all of these things are kind of up to you um as an artist um you know, personally, like, we have no preference on who we work with. Like, we, you know, we want to democratize the ability to sell something on the Internet. We don't want to do it specifically for artists or specifically for musicians or specifically for labels. Um, we want to build this tool that anyone can use, and we just want, to, we just want people to use it. Um, and hopefully just making the tools more accessible to people will, you know, accelerate whatever change is already happening. We're not kind of pushing in a specific direction. We're not trying to kill the labels. We're just trying to build a thing that makes it more accessible to do certain things. Um, and if that ends up, you know, accelerating that change or whatever, like, fine. Um, but we're not, you know, for, for or against it. So speaking of tools, I want to tell you about my good friend Mike Dornberg, um, who's sitting over there. Mike runs uh, uh, Reverb Nation, and Reverb Nation is a fantastic tool. Mike, you're not a tool. Your, your company has a fantastic tool. I just wanted to clarify that. Okay. Um, <laughs> But if you're an independent artist out there, you should be signed up for Reverb Nation with Reverb, Reverb Nation, not just because of uh, you know their fantastic uh, customer you know fan management tools and so forth. But if you sign up for their distribution solution, they actually run all their digital distribution through us. Uh, so you get access to the sa- same platform uh, for digital distribution that is powering the largest label on the planet. Right, so Universal Music Group, all of their music flows through us to get to iTunes and Amazon and all the different digital retailers. So you, as an independent artist, can be on an equal playing field from a distribution perspective as Eminem and Lady Gaga and you know all the artists that are on Universal. So then it becomes about how are you marketing your record and connecting with your fans. And again, Reverb has fantastic tools. Uh, to help you do that. So that's just an example of one of the things that uh, is available uh, to you guys today. And do you think, you know, speaking of Reverb Nation, you know, and they go through you and there's companies like TuneCore that allow you to put your music up. Do you think the barriers of, you know, it used to be you had to have a record label because you couldn't get to iTunes and you couldn't get your records in the record stores. You know, now you can do Amazon print on demand and you can go to Reverb Nation or you can go to Ingrooves or you can go to TuneCore and you can get your music up on any platform. You promised me you wouldn't mention TuneCore. Sorry, I was going to start. I was going to start laughing because he's looking at me like you said you weren't going to mention TuneCore. I have to be an equal equal Almost opportunity uh, person. Do you think that that is good for music, um, or do you think that maybe it has that flooded the market and it's harder to get recognized because the distribution barriers have been broken down? Well. I, I've always thought that it's it's great for music. I think every possible way 
that music can come out and the easier it is for artists to get music out, that's always the best thing. You know, making money off it is, is secondary, but I think under the old big label system, you know, there were too, so, so many gatekeepers, you know, that there were many undiscovered or, um, or, or artists that just didn't get a chance to release their music. And now with techno- with the the cost of the technology to make music and and how easy it is to release music. I think there's pretty much uh, all of the really good artists now have a chance to be heard. So that's always good. And, you know, when you're self-releasing your record, there's mechanicals and if you don't own your own publishing and there's, you know... If you have a producer, you have to pay producing points. And, you know, the business side of things can be difficult for an artist if they don't understand that. Um, are there services that any of you guys use, Rob, that I know you work with? I just forgot the name of the company, but to help people with that? You mean uh, mechanical licensing, rights flow? Yes, rights flow, thank yeah. you. Um, but I, I think actually HFA is now picking up where rights flow left left off because rights flow got purchased by Google and YouTube and so forth. But anyway, um, yes, there are services, um, and, and we use a bunch of them. I tried not to pay attention to that kind of stuff, but, uh, um, you know, obviously it's an important piece of the, of the overall puzzle. So, um, we try to integrate that and automate it as much as possible into the overall distribution solution that we provide to our clients. Um, but yeah, look, it's, it's a complex world out there and, and, you can go through a TuneCore or uh, a Reverb. Look, even I said TuneCore. But um, you can go through one of these services and you can reach the top 20 or 30 different online retailers, but there's no marketing, uh, there's no strategic plan, uh, there's uh, no sort of video distribution or promotion or, or you know, any kind of global footprint. So um, it's, it makes sense for a certain type of artist at a certain point in their career, but... Uh, you know, the, the, one of the reasons we entered into the relationship with Reverb Nation about three years ago, I think it was, was to get those emerging artists into our family uh, and have access to all of the, the data. And so that if we could see, you know, uh, one of the artists beginning to rise above the noise, we could go in there, have a conversation with them and potentially uh, upstream them into the, you know, the, the Ingrus uh, label services group. So, um uh, I don't know where I was going with this, but I hope I answered your question. <laughs> you did. Right. Um, so we're going to open it up to questions here in a second, but I just uh, want to ask Ken one last thing. Um, would you... Sorry, as he's playing with his iPhone. Um, would you recommend an artist to self-release their record, and what advice would you give them if they were going to do so? Um, <clears throat> um, yeah, if you don't know how to do it, be sure you've got a, uh, some people working with you that do. It's, 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 you know, there's a lot involved with it. So you don't want to just come up with the greatest record ever and then not give it a chance. So you, uh, if you have something great, then you think uh, people will want to hear it or you want a lot of people to hear it, then uh, then give it a chance by... Uh, releasing it correctly. And Rob, would you recommend an artist self-release their record? I, I wouldn't advise against it. Um, again, it depends. It's different for every artist. Uh, back to my comment about it's no longer formulaic. It's it's about finding your own path, and um, every option is out there for you. So so just figure out what's most important, and uh, rely on some people that you you trust to give you good advice and. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, they say the internet, you know, it's a meritocracy, right? So, uh, if somebody's lying to you or giving you bad advice, you're going to figure it out pretty quick. Okay. And we'll open it up. Does anyone have any questions? Brian. Thank you. So if an artist does a deal with, for instance, in grooves and they're distributing a product to the extent that the artist then, you know, it's a, it's a new artist, an emerging artist, if they go on to have quite a bit of success and someone from say Warner or Sony comes calling and wants to ultimately sign that artist they make a a compelling offer what would the transition be like or how would you make the transition from selling through your platform uh, and keeping it on all the digital services uh, without it just being a mess 
Well, are they taking uh, the existing record? Or, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, hopefully they're not taking the existing record, right? I mean, look, our, our view is that we should be able to do a good enough job for the artists uh, that they don't. we don't have a situation where they go to a major uh, if, they are, if they've achieved a certain level of success because we've helped them achieve that level of success. Look at Mac Miller, right? It's a perfect example. So Mac... Did it independently through Rostrum Records. Uh, we distribute Rostrum. He was pursued heavily by all the major labels uh, and turned them all down because he makes a ton more money on his own, uh, as you can see by all the fun he's having down in L.A. right now, than he could if he was on a major label. The major was the major labels were unable to offer him anything that we weren't providing. The only thing was uh, pr- promotion. And you can hire that out independently. So... In a in a situation, by the way, his ringtone is ringing in my pocket right now, so that's why I'm distracted. But in a situation where, let's say, somebody was an album was pulled from us, we would just have to issue a takedown notice to all of the retailers, and that would be timed with when it was going to be put up by the major label, hopefully, so that the artist isn't negatively impacted. But it's a pretty our system is very well connected in with all of the digital retailers so it's a it's a pretty easy transition physically it's you know it's a it's different and i don't ask me because i try to ignore that stuff too but um yeah i mean there's a whole process for shifting it from one physical distributor to another but it does make it hard because i had this when i was at um when i was at wme we had an artist that was gonna switch we'd put out the record and then they'd signed a deal with someone and you lose all your comments and you lose all your likes and you lose, you know, depending on how long the record's been out, that takes a long time to get that stuff back and people actually utilize that stuff to, to buy records. So there is some impact on that. Yeah, so Apple is about to release a, I think they call it a migration tool that, that'll allow you to migrate popularity ratings and sales history when you move from one distributor to another. Uh, you will still lose ratings and reviews, but you will keep the sales history. So if you're in the, especially if you're charting, which is important, you want to maintain that sales history, uh, you'll retain that. As well as the popularity ranking, which a lot of people use to, to find artists and songs. Do we have another question? In the back. Hello. So I'm a musician, and I think that digital songs to me, are more of a calling card, and the goal would be for an up-and-coming band to get that song to as many people as possible, not worry as much about the monetization of that, and hope that you can leverage that exposure to a a live show, a tour, a performance, where people are going to pay for that scarce time experience. What is the best way to get your music if you are locally known, locally well-known, but globally totally under the radar how to get it out to as many people as possible i mean put it put it everywhere you can tell everyone that you know about it and hope it's you know hope that it's good it's interesting and people share it with their friends their followers etc i don't think there's any secret california is the only problem it's in san francisco and everybody already knows us here it's not not easy yeah you you need you need to make go ahead yeah go ahead ahead. no you're 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 panelist too yeah um I've been trying not to talk. It's very hard, so this is why. Um, but you could go to someplace like Reverb Nation or the Ghost of Rain Groups, um, or you could go to TuneCore and make sure that the music is on all the, all the outlets as well as making sure you're on YouTube and then hiring someone to help you do the marketing because it really is about doing marketing. So, so yeah, on TuneCore already, but nobody's going to search for something they don't already know. That's why it's important to have the marketing. So hiring so a publicist you're saying YouTube or... And, and mar- you, marketing YouTube is what Viral you're videos... You know, funny, funny, funny music videos make make things explode. I, there's no, it's not like you're going to put it on YouTube and it's going to get discovered and it's going to blow up. That's almost impossible. You have to do something interesting that you know people care about. You know, it makes the front page of Reddit because there's some funny meme in it or something. You appear in your friend who might be more famous than you are's video, and, and that helps you. Uh, and also doing covers on YouTube. You know, so many kids are listening to the covers that are on YouTube. So if you can start with that and get views that way and then introduce your original music. You know, Carmen, who ended up being signed to Island, I think. Epic, thank you. They started on YouTube doing, you know, the cover of the Chris Brown song. And 
that got them a record label deal and they had their original music on YouTube as well. So that can be a platform to get people to notice who you are by familiarity. So, so here's, here's the advice that I actually gave an artist friend of mine who was just starting out recently and had pretty much the same question, right? Which is, hey, I'm, I'm doing pretty well in my local market, but how do I uh, you know, get, the, get the fire stoked in, in some other market? Um, and so the advice I gave him was this, which is think about where your potential fans are. Like, does your music, music translate to the German market, the French market? And then, you know, or even in the United States, you know, perhaps there's some country element, so you should go to Nashville. And, and the idea is you pick this, this spot on the other side of the country or the other side of the globe where your, your music would resonate with the local population, perhaps because there's a certain sound, uh, you're similar to an artist that has done well over there, but you're going to need to do some research to see where, uh, you know, what location would be the best fit for you. Then literally hop on a plane, right, and walk into the local, you know, music uh, venues and offer yourself up to play, even if it's inexpensively or for free. And before, if it begins to translate and people uh, begin to pick up on, uh, you know, your music and what you're doing, then you, you'll build a local fan base there as well. Then all of a sudden you've got two fan bases and you can leverage that to also you know, reach out to managers and so forth and say, hey, I'm huge in Spain and I'm huge in Northern California. You know? And that becomes more meaningful to the management team. So, so there's, something, there's something my friend did. So this, is, this is like a true example, which is some song got leaked on the internet and like pr- probably like two, a couple weeks before it was supposed to be you know, released. So... Th- of course, like the label is not going to put it up on YouTube because it's not out yet. So he found that you know he found a leak and he covered it. Um, so you know he and he put it you know, put it on YouTube um, and you know called it whatever the song was named cover by you know his name. And so every single person that wanted to listen to the song would you know go on YouTube and search song name. Um, but the the original wasn't there. There were all these just these covers, and at that he was he was pretty early. There were only like three. So just being there, being like you know, just like SEO on Google, right? If you're if, if people search for something and you're just the first thing that pops up, you're going to get some amount of, of of viewage. If it's actually good, it might actually get exposed to more people. Um, that worked really well for him. He got I don't know like a not a lot of views, I guess, but like you know, hundred few hundred thousand views on it without basically doing anything, like no marketing. It just happened to be you know a good keyword match. When there weren't any others, that might work. I don't know. Any other questions? Right here. I showed up a few minutes late, so you may have already addressed this, but I just wanted to know what your guys' opinions are on the RIAA changing the gold and platinum record statuses to involve streaming and whether or not those certifications are still important. I think it's amazing they did it. Are they relevant? You know, I joke, you know, the platinum or gold is the new platinum and 250 is the new gold um i mean i i don't think they're as relevant i don't also don't think that sound scan is is as relevant either i think people just consume music in so many different ways that aren't measured um i think it's a it's it's a good step forward in legitim legitimizing streaming music as seen as something that is going to be here to stay and that means something but i don't think the average us in the business think it's really great and pay attention to it, but the average consumer doesn't doesn't pay attention to that stuff. I think seems kind of strange because you know the streaming is sort of like airplay, and they never they have always had airplay. They never gave gold and platinum records for top airplay on radio. I mean, gold and platinum is for sales, so they're not including. Broadcast radio, there it's just on demand yes. streams. Yes, on demand. because they took that into account. Yeah, so yeah. it's just like Spotify pay or streaming. Mog or RDO. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. So not broadcast, but um, no, I think it's good they did it. It's funny when I started Ingrooves, I promised myself that I would never care about those kinds of plaques and stuff. That that's not why I got into this business. But I have a bunch in my office now, and partly it's because you see what it means to the artists. Right, because they're the ones who put their heart and soul into into the record and to achieve that recognition. And when you see what it means to them, it's like, yeah, okay, you know, I I get it. So, I mean, is a thousand streams really worth a sale anymore? I think that it's a thousand that they're doing to it because 
you're making these fractions of a cent from YouTube and from all these other places, and it's like, does it really mean the same thing? But that's two, I mean, you're asking two different questions, right? I mean, the question is whether or not does a thousand streams represent a, a level that deserves recognition or uh, to, to be factored into the formula to be recognized with a gold or platinum record, right? That's one question. Yeah. The other question is, does it equate to a sale? You know, I don't, you know that's, that's, it does mathematically, but... Any other question right there in, in the back, in the middle? Hi. Um, earlier you had mentioned all the components that go into making an artist successful, and one of them was management. And with all the outlets of getting your music out there, at what point do you, does an artist look for management? And is it something that myself my friends would seek? Or is that you know, just by being out there and, and being popular, is, are, is management drawn to the artist? I guess I have to answer this, being a former manager. You know, I think that at one point you get to a certain point where someone's going to notice you and they're going to think, okay, I need this band needs management. And if you're at that point, you're probably going to have more than one person coming to you. Um, I actually think that artists need managers and it's super important, myself being a former one, they help organize your life. And also that person, I hate to say this and it sounds horrible, but an artist is a brand at this point. You you have to know have someone who knows how to cultivate that brand and, and to make that brand around for a long time. So, you know, it's, the music business has changed so much in the past, since I've been in it, in the past 20 years. It's, you know, it's, it, I don't know if I'm really answering your question, but yes, I think that you should have a manager at a certain level. Um, and I think that some artists seek that out. And I think that, you know, some artists, when they get to that level, a manager will just come after you. And, you know, the type of manager that you get when you're seeking out a manager might be different than the type of manager you get when um, they're coming after you, if they answered it. So, so the advice I gave a friend as well, um, I like to pass on consistent advice, so is if you're looking for a manager, go find a bunch of bands that you love, that oh, you respect, and figure out who their manager is. Uh, and then once you have a showcase in the local town, you know, local city, uh, invite those managers to your showcases. That's what managers do. They go check out hot new bands. And you, you, know, you email them a link to your YouTube videos, your music, you know, your press kit and so forth that you've put together. And if they like what they hear, they'll either show up or send somebody uh, to come check you out. That was a much better answer. <laughs> Maybe I should be a manager. Never forget. Don't, don't underestimate the blind call or the blind reach out. You know, I, people do respond. Not everyone, but people do respond. So I think we have time for probably one more question. Do we have an... This is sort of a, it may have come uh, already come up because I came in late, but um, I'm sort of thinking about mechanicals and royalties and things like that. There's sort of the naive, let's get out there and let's generate excitement with our music, and then it's out there, and then it's recognized, and then what are your rights, and how do you sort of secure those types of things, and should you do that before you try to generate excitement? We, d we did talk about how you, you can use companies like Harry Fox to help you collect with your mechanicals, and there's a few other companies out there that can help you with producer royalties and that type of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think, what is it, the, the saying, it's better to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission? Um, but again, there are ways, especially to, you know, on the mechanical side, statutory mechanical licensing and so forth, that, that makes it pretty easy, but... You know, if you if you create enough of a buzz, there are enough people that'll jump to your rescue to help you out if you've violated anything. So, thank you so much, everyone, for coming to the panel. <laughs>